Welcome to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. This is where we answer your Bible questions. Temptation is not sin. It's when we yield ourselves to that thing. That's when it becomes sin. I believe what this is, and I'm going to trust you. So what prophecies were they studying that helped them know when the Messiah would come? That's a good question. And I think we've got a pretty good answer for you here. Hi there, and welcome to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. This is where we answer your Bible questions. Every question was submitted by an It Is Written viewer. It gives us an opportunity to share the Word of God, hopefully encourage and uh, allow the Holy Spirit of God to guide you in your Christian experience. I'm John Bradshaw. With me is Wes Peppers. Wes, great to see you. Great to be here, Pastor John. Are you confident we have a good program today? I think we have some great questions. We'll have a great program. All right. All right. Every time. With that being said, we're going to dive in, and we'll begin right. with a question I think is a really good question. It is from Stacy, who asks, If you are a Christian, but you don't keep a promise you made to God, can you still go to heaven? Wes, let's think about that. If you don't keep a promise that you made to God, may you still be saved. Now, where do you begin to tackle that? Well, I think that's the whole basis of the gospel is that no one has ever kept a promise they made to God. That's correct. I think it's a pretty bad idea to make a promise to God because we can't keep our promises to God. Everybody has broken promises that they have made to God. Look, Stacy, let me give you some friendly advice. Don't make promises to God. It doesn't help. Children of Israel made a promise to God once they said, everything the Lord has said they will do. And weeks later, they were dancing naked around a golden calf. We do not want you to be dancing unclothed or clothed around any kind of golden calf of your devising. Just or anything do else. Yeah. So what you do is instead of making promises to God, you believe the promises that God has made to you. Where Jesus says that he will live his life in you, that he will provide for you, that he will forgive you, that he will cleanse you, whatever it is. Now, I don't have any examples of promises, but let's say, uh, let's, let's, let's concoct a couple of probable or possible promises Stacy may have made to God. What might one of them have been? What would you suggest? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Yeah, but I'm saying a promise Stacy made to God. Oh, Stacy made to God. Yeah, yeah, what might that be? Yeah, oh, I promise I won't lose my temper anymore. Yeah, uh, Stacy, no, that's not a promise you should be making. Who can keep that promise? You know, one that a lot of people do is, God, if you'll get me out of this situation that I got myself into, I promise I will yeah, sure. never do it again or I'll yeah. do this or that. Yeah. That's a famous one. Uh, I, I, will, I promise, Lord, I'm not going to eat any more M&Ms yes. and I'm going to lose 10 pounds. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I once read where someone described the promises that we make to God as being like ropes of sand. Yeah which is a fantastic image, isn't it? Ropes of sand. Let's get back to the question specifically. You made a promise to God. You didn't keep the promise. Well, before I answer the question, what should a person do about that? Well, I mean, you have in God everything that you need in His promises. Sure. You just need to trust in His promises. That's what the Old Covenant was... That's why it was faulty, the book of Hebrews says, because we didn't trust in God's promises. And the new covenant was established upon better promises. His promises. God's promises. Okay, so you make this promise to God, whatever it might be. I'll give you half of the money my grandma gives me for Christmas, and then you don't. You buy a phone or something or other. 
Um, God has had people break promises before. Peter, oh, hey, it doesn't matter who does what, I will follow you to the death. And hours later, he denied Jesus three times. What did Jesus do for Peter? Yeah. Forgave him, right? Forgave him straight out. He even said after his resurrection, go tell the disciples and Peter. In other words, it's been three days. Peter's feeling terrible, but I know that. And I want to assure Peter it's okay. We recognize that we fell short in that promise, and we will every time if we're doing it in our own strength. We confess it, we go to God, we ask forgiveness, and He's ready there to change our hearts and help us trust Him the next time. Yep, that's right. You look through the Bible and you find people who've broken promises they made to God. You, you, you fell short, you made a promise inadvisedly. You might say to God, I'd really like to get over that bad temper that we heard mentioned a moment ago, and I'm struggling with that. And I'm asking you for help, and I need Jesus to live his life in me so that I can gain the victory over that and not embarrass myself and harm other people and disgrace you. Uh, failing, look, you, you need to hear us with a bit of grace here, Stacey. We're not saying it's okay to say dumb stuff and then fall flat instead of standing upright through the power of God. It's not okay, but it's too bad. It's unfortunate. It may or may not be sin because we don't know quite what you're talking about here. But it happens, you know. There's a verse in the Bible, Stacy, that I'm going to ask you to memorize because it's really important and you need it. I can say that because everybody needs it. I want to find the exact verse. It's in Psalm 103. This verse helped me immensely. Psalm 103 is the one that starts, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. No, it doesn't start that way. That's verse 8. That's the beginning of that passage. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. And then get this, Stacey, verse 14. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. God knows what you're made of. If you've broken a promise, and now what we're going to assume is that in doing so you committed a sin. You confess that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then you say, okay, no more making promises to God. I will believe the promises he makes to me. I will ask Jesus to live his life in me. I will pray daily for a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I will remember that God remembers that I'm dust. He knows what you are made of. You know, I think it's good to point out the thought that does God need our promises? Does he need us to make promises to him? He doesn't. He just needs us to give our heart to him. And then when we give our heart to him, he changes that heart and we begin to trust in his promises, which are way better than anything we can ever manufacture in our own life. The the, the troubling nature of Stacey's question, pardon me, Stacey, while I talk to Wes about you. The troubling nature of Stacey's question is that we're, she's really asking, does God forgive me? Yeah, of course. That, that's of course. the And that's a that's troubling right. thing for a person to ask. Sure, sure, sure. What was the cross for, Stacey? A little lecturing going to happen now. What was the cross for if God won't forgive you? What is grace for if God can't forgive some human being who, who reneged on a promise or didn't come through on a promise? So understand who we're talking about here, the good, the great, the loving, the merciful, the forgiving God. If you will have that picture of God in your mind, it will not give you license and liberty to be careless and callous in your relationship with God. You will love God the more you will understand his heart. He will have your heart more. You will grow. Remember, Christianity is a growth. That's what we tell you here. Christianity is a growth. You keep on growing. Receive the righteousness of Jesus 
and uh, be confident that God is a forgiving God. That might have taken longer than uh, well, I think I, it was I, worth I it. I think it's worth it. I'm sure other people are dealing with that same issue, and people we've do all done that. that. People yeah. do. Yeah. What is it about people that, that, that they've got the Bible, the entire Bible, yeah. Yeah. and then they're going to say stuff like, can God forgive me? Sure. And I don't, I don't say that critical of no. people. I actually ask the question genuinely, what is it about us that we'll doubt that God would forgive us. The devil, he likes to play with our emotions. He likes to put those doubts in our minds. And if we just keep focusing on them, I think more than ever before, uh, or at least in recent years, people are not reading the Bible as much yeah. as they should. And one thing I love to do is go through the Bible and highlight all the promises of God in a certain color. That way, when I am discouraged, when the devil is playing on those emotions, you can flip through the Bible and find hundreds of promises that will encourage you and uplift you and lead you. And God is not unreasonable. No. He's very reasonable. He wants to draw close to us. His desire is that. If if he wanted to get rid of us, he'd have had plenty of reasons oh, a sure. long time ago. Yeah. But he doesn't. He values us because we're his children. And Stacy, you know, we want you to know that. And you have God's assurance. There's no greater assurance that God could give you than Jesus dying on the cross for you. Yeah. And God's not going to give up on you. Yeah. He'll finish the work that he started in you. So be encouraged. Be uplifted and know that God is walking with you if you're w- willing to walk with him. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, question from uh, Alan. Alan says, I have some questions about special days for Christians. Can you explain more about the Sabbath day rest? There's uh, an addendum to this question. We'll get to that in a moment. Can you explain about the Sabbath day rest? I think sure. you can. I think yeah. you can. Yeah, the Sabbath starts all the way back in Genesis, and uh, it's a very beautiful gift that God gave humanity. And one thing I love to point out is that God gave the Sabbath before sin. And so before sin entered the world, God had designed in perfection of the world that his people would follow that. So let's just suppose that Adam and Eve had never fallen into sin before, then we would still have the Sabbath day. You find the Sabbath repeated multiple times throughout the Old Testament, primarily in the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And it says that the seventh day is the Sabbath. So God calls us to rest on the Sabbath as a reminder that he's the one that created the world. And in in the terms of redemption, that he's the one that recreates our hearts. And so the Sabbath is a day of worship. It's a day of rest. It's a day of reflection. It's a day of relationship with God and with fellow believers, and you find it all through the New Testament as well. So the Sabbath is not one of the ceremonial laws. It's one of the Ten Commandments, which were written by God with his own finger on two tablets of stone intended for eternity. One more thing, you find it all the way through the Bible, but in the book of Isaiah, you find that even in the New Earth, Pastor John, that we'll keep the Sabbath for eternity. Mm -hmm. So there's no fluctuation with God. There's no flip-flopping with God. God has been consistent in his word all the way through about the Sabbath. Now, here's what's really interesting, Wes. If you gave a Bible to someone who had no knowledge of God, you said, I'd like you to tell me what the Sabbath day is. Start at the beginning of the book. They wouldn't get more than 32 or 33 verses in. And five minutes of reading. Chapter 2. That's it. The first book. And they'd be saying, I found it. Can I go now? I found it. You say, well done, you found it. 
My point is, it's clear. But in Christianity, it's not clear. Now, again, that speaks to something deep-rooted in the human psyche. You know what we love? We love familiarity and we love tradition. Yes. With respect. Yes. Sunday keeping is a tradition. That's right. It's not a commandment. It's a tradition. Many Sunday keeping Christians love God with all their heart. You talk about the seven-day Sabbath. They will proscribe you. They will suggest that you aren't a genuine Christian. Some. Yes, I tell some. you, you're crazy. Now, some, won't, some will say, oh, you know, you're right yeah. about that. They just don't see the importance. So I want to encourage you because um, Sabbath is clear. It's clear. What's not clear, though, is when we look at something in this world through the lens of tradition and through the lens of, uh, I've got to find another word for tradition, but I cannot. So tradition or tradition. And when we look at the Sabbath that way, it becomes Unclear. Look at it through the lens of the Bible. It becomes really, really clear. Now, I'll go, go ahead just I'll, quick because I've got to come yeah, back to this sure. again. I was just going to add real quick. You and I have been to many places around the world, yeah. and we meet people all the time who walk up and they say, you know, I just threw everything I believed out the window, and I said I'm going to sit down and read the Bible, and I learned about the seven-day Sabbath. Boom, just like that. Just like that. And it's clear when you just study the Bible. If that's what you do, it's clear. That's right. It's clear. Okay, I said there was an addendum. So we'll come back to this after the break. What about Easter and Christmas? Mm -hmm. Now, some people get bent out of shape about this. So if you get bent out of shape, we've got something for you. If you don't, we've also got something for you. In a moment more, line upon line, brought to you by It Is Written. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about studying the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious as well. Well, here's what you do if you want to dig deeper into God's Word. Go to itiswritten.study for the It Is Written Bible Study Guides online. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will take you through the major teachings of the Bible. You'll be blessed, and it's something you'll want to tell others about as well. itiswritten.study. Go further. itiswritten.study. More and more people are watching It Is Written TV. They're watching their favorite It Is Written programs, listening to inspiring sermon series, and much more. They're watching them here, here, and even here. See for yourself why people are turning to It Is Written TV to watch their favorite Christian programs live and on demand. Watch It Is Written TV for free anytime on Roku, Apple TV, and at itiswritten.tv. Welcome back to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written with Wes Peppers. I am John Bradshaw. I said a moment ago, um, we'd add to the, we'll finish off the question that came to us uh, from Alan. I said, some people get really bent out of shape about this. And here, here's the addendum to the question. The question was, and what about Easter and Christmas? Yeah. And what about Easter and Christmas? Yes. Now, Easter is when the Christian world, by and large, remembers the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Christmas, we remember the birth of Jesus. Is there anything, Wes, in the Bible that says you got to observe Easter? No. Is there anything in the Bible that says you got to observe Christmas? No. No. And why is it that people get sometimes fabulously bent out of shape about these? And that's because if you track the Easter story all the way, not the story, but the tradition all the way back, you may find that there are some fascinating, less than Christian um, roots that's right. from which this grows. That's right. Now, Let's assume that that is true, because it is true. Mm-hmm. There's some pagan origins that were adapted and co-opted mm-hmm. and kind of brought into Christianity. 
Does that mean that people shouldn't remember the crucifixion of Jesus? Shouldn't remember Easter time? Of course not. I mean, Jesus rose. That's one of the greatest hopes that we have in Christianity. And so just like there's not a um, mandate to not do it, there's not a commandment that forbids it either. That's correct. To celebrate the the birth or the resurrection. You know, now, Sabbath Sunday, Mm -hmm. Sunday is a violation of the fourth commandment. Yes. Yes. Easter is not a violation of anything. If you go to church and that weekend the pastor is preaching about the resurrection right. of Jesus, there's no harm in that. You emphasize the resurrection, all the biblical aspects of that event and that weekend. Not a thing wrong with that. Yeah. Christmas. Sure. Now, yeah. partly Christmas is cultural. Every year it is written, we'll put on our Facebook page something about Christmas. I'll say something about Christmas. And then there's an avalanche of people hating on Christmas mostly from a certain part of the world. No need to point out where it is. And that's because in that part of the world, the Christians are taught, stay away from Christmas. So it becomes cultural. You understand? Yeah. yeah. Um, biblically, there can't be a single thing wrong with remembering the birth and the death of, uh, the birth of Jesus. It cannot be. It's, it's, it's a fundamental, foundational part of the Bible story. The biblical fact is Jesus was born. Yes. There's nothing wrong with being excited about that. If he wasn't born, he couldn't be crucified. He couldn't yeah. have lived a perfect life. Now, if we make that an idol, we elevate that event above all the other events, yeah. then that may be an issue, but I don't see most people doing that. Now, some of the trappings of Christmas, people sure. spending money they don't have mm-hmm. on gifts yeah. that they don't need or yeah. people don't need, uh, you know, you'll want to tread really carefully there. Of course mm-hmm. you do, and, and so forth. People say Christmas is pagan. Why? Well, because of the pagan signs. Let me share something with you. Mm-hmm. How Christian is the cross? I'll let that sink in. How Christian is the cross? What do you mean? It's very Christian. Mm, Really? Let's talk about the origins of the cross. Can we go back to the Babylonians and the Assyrians who invented the cross? This was a pagan, a thoroughly pagan method of torture and execution. And you have no problem at all drawing it and seeing it on the side of the road, you like it, you drive past those great, not far from where we live, right? Humongous crosses on the side of the freeway. Oh, look at that. Yeah, Christians, Jesus, we like the cross. I'm not saying you should, but people wear the cross, a tattoo the cross. You shouldn't do that. Uh, The cross is ubiquitous in Western society and certainly in Christianity. We like the cross. But we're going to get upset about a tree. Oh, that's pagan. But you're going to talk about the cross, the cross, the cross, which is no less pagan. You understand what I mean, right? Nothing pagan about the cross on which Jesus died. Nothing pagan about the crucifixion. But the cross itself goes way back and its roots are in non-Christian societies and even uh, religions, if I may say that. Yeah, and you know, what I find about Christmas is that's a time of year when people's hearts are more open to the gospel message than they would any other time. So we always take advantage of it. You know, we... We bring a gift to God during that time and just thank Him for the year and what we've experienced in His blessings. We go out and we we do uh, t- missionary type things. We'll take you know, maybe on Christmas Day we'll take g- little gift baskets to people that are working that day or whatnot, and it's an opportunity to show goodwill and to show your love for God and your love for them. And so these are things that can be done when people's hearts may not be as open the rest of the year. So take advantage of the good things uh, about it and use it for God's glory. You know, people, sometimes people are just antagonistically so nasty against it, but they're not uplifting Jesus the rest of the year. That's right. I would say this. 
If you feel conscientious about not observing Christmas or Easter, don't. You don't have to. You, you can do whatever you want. But please be nice. Please be nice. Someone says Merry Christmas or post something online. Don't pile on and tell them what a pagan they are. You're not attracting people to Jesus that way. You're not making the gospel look winsome. You're making yourself look kind of cranky and mean. So be nice. The 11th commandment, be nice. And follow your own convictions. I like what you said about that. Follow your own convictions about it and let everybody else do the same. Freedom of choice. Mm -hmm. Matilda asks what we feel like, what we feel is a pretty good question. In 1 Corinthians 5, 8, Paul says, let us celebrate the Passover lamb. Does that mean we should be doing it too? So first thing to do is probably to go to 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 8 and see whether whether that's exactly what Paul wrote. I'm not convinced that it is. So 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 8, therefore let us keep the feast, not with, I, I see what she's saying, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of of sincerity and truth. Does that mean we ought to be keeping the Passover? I would not say so, because the Bible says that Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Jesus is the Passover lamb, and therefore his death on the cross means we do not have to celebrate the Passover any longer. In fact, to celebrate the Passover would be a denial of the fact that Jesus came to this earth and died as the Passover lamb. John the Baptist saw him, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The original Passover, they sacrificed the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost. Yes. And when the avenging angel saw the blood on the doorpost, he passed over, over that house. It was all pointing to Jesus Christ. Uh, verse yeah. 7 of that same passage, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Yeah, you know, and the whole point of the Passover celebration was an anticipation of the Savior who would come. So once he comes, that's the substance of it. Colossians 2.17 says about the feast days that Christ was the substance of the shadow of things to come. And so once Christ came and fulfilled what he needed to do, what he did on the cross for our sins, we don't need to do that anymore. Now what he does say is he says, celebrate the, the point of the uh, the Passover now is in sincerity and truth. And those things, God wants to be characteristics in our life. But Christ is our Passover. I always ask, you know, my son loves toy cars, Pastor John. And uh, if I were to, yeah, yeah. If I were to, he loves these big muscle cars. Oh, you know? yeah. And if I were to say, son, I'll give you a little toy car or I'll give you the key to a real car, and we could take a ride in that. Which one you think is going to choose? Obviously, right? You, you he, think, yeah. He's going to choose yeah. the the big car. Oh yeah. And so it's kind of like that. The Passover feast is like the the toy car, and the and Jesus coming and doing what he did for us is like the folk thing. It's the real deal. And so once you have the real thing, you don't really need the other thing. So that's the point that Paul's making here. Amen. Sonia asks a question, and we give this question a lot of respect. When Jesus was on earth and he prayed every day, did he pray for himself or not? I'll read a couple of verses because, I mean, he sure did. Luke 5.16, and he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Luke 6.12, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. You say, well, did he pray for himself or did he just pray for others? 
in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed certainly for himself that the cup would pass from him. Yet Jesus lived on this earth as a man, and he prayed for the for the strengthening power of God, for the presence of the Holy Spirit to strengthen him and give him victory in his conflict with evil, the one that he faced as a human being. Undoubtedly, he prayed for himself. You know, I I believe so too, and there's multiple passages that show that, and he would have to. I mean, he said, I of myself can do nothing. So he had to appeal to his father for help, and how did he do that? But through prayer. I met a lady in church one time, Pastor John, that uh, she said, I have not prayed for myself in 10 years. Have mercy. Because I believe it's a selfish thing to do, to focus on myself during prayer. And uh, I thought, well, I said, you know, how's that going for you? She said, well... I can't give victory over anything. I said, go. okay, you got to appeal to God for help. You know, God invites us to pray, not just about others, but for ourselves. It's a biblical thing, and Jesus set that example for us. Imagine that. That's tough, isn't it? Yeah. Crazy. Not going to God to ask for help. Yeah. I can't imagine it. I'd not, be doomed. Not going to God to talk about what's going on in your life. Yes. You'd be doomed, all right. Absolutely. Yep. If he's our best friend, and he is... He's interested in what's going on in our life, and he wants to know. Nancy asks this. Revelation 21 says, Nothing that has gone on before the creation of the new heaven and new earth will be remembered after the new creation appeared. So the question in response to that is, will we still remember the good things we had in our life? That is when we get to heaven. Will we remember the good things in life when we get to heaven? Can you imagine getting to heaven and not remembering? Yeah, it'd be tough. Not remembering the the joys and the highs and the miracles and yeah. the way God worked and the wonderful times that you had with people. I, I hate to say this, and I don't mean to make light of it, but that seems a little weird to me if it would be like that. Oh, yeah. Thinking about it in this life, yeah, I won't remember anything. That means I won't remember my children. I won't remember my friends. I won't remember the victories that God gave me. I think the Bible says something slightly different. There are some things that we that won't come to mind, but not everything. Revelation 21 says there'll be no more tears, death, sorrow, crying, or pain, for the former things have passed away, and behold, I make all things new. And those are the things specifically that God is talking about, the trials we had. And here's why I believe, uh, Nancy, that it's going to be that way, because the love of God is going to so fill our hearts that it's going to complete all and, and heal all the pain that we've experienced in the former life, and we won't need to remember it. We'll remember still the joys and the wonderful things about this life, but th- the things in that earth, the new earth, will be even better. And so there'll be no, no need for that, and God doesn't want us to focus on that. He wants to focus on the eternity that we have in front of us. You know, I've been answering Bible questions for a long time. I know you have as well. I've never been asked this question. It's from Ellen. Mm -hmm. Ellen, and she asks, does the Bible say that women can't go to heaven? (laughs) She writes, someone told me that one time. We only have a few seconds. It shouldn't take us really very long to answer the question. (laughs) Does the Bible say women can't go to heaven? You need more than one word to answer this question? Uh, No and no. (laughs) You know, Galatians 3 says we're all one in Jesus, neither male or female, but we're all one. And so, yes, of course, women can be saved and 
God sent Jesus for all. Amen. No doubt about it. Amen. But we thanks, thank you for the question. Hey, thanks for joining us. It's been great fun. Submit your question to line upon line at IIW.org. We'll answer your question too. With West Peppers, I'm John Bradshaw. This has been Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. <laughs> 